0: So I could not believe my good fortune when I got an email from Pastor Diane several weeks ago asking me to preach on this Sunday and I looked in the lectionary to see what the readings were and they were, repent! (laughs) Because as a good Pentecostal, I've been wanting to tell you folks this. It's my sweet spot. <laughs> so, my normal day job, for those of you that don't know, I'm a hospice chaplain. And so it's a, it's a real treat and a privilege to get to preach and to be with you guys this morning. So, our readings are about repentance. Jonah and Jesus. That's a common theme in the two texts that we have. And in Mark's gospel, Mark uh, chapter 1, as uh, Dr. Tice (laughs) read to us, it's, it's really the first red letters in the gospel of Mark. The very first thing Jesus has to say is repent. And, and, and the, I'm sure you guys know, I mean, you've been around long enough, that the New Testament was written in Greek, not English. And so the Greek word that's actually there that Mark uses is a word metanoia. And it literally means change your thinking. And so why would Jesus, first words out of his mouth, why would Mark tell us the very first message Jesus came to say, was repent! And I think, well, because Jesus knew, if we were really to become free, as human beings, at the center and the core of that, an adjustment needed to be made, about how we think about God. Thomas Merton, who is my great hero, uh, in one of his books, I uh, New Seeds of Contemplation. I think that's it. It's New Seeds. Uh, Wrote that what we think about God tells us more about ourselves than it does God. Because what the psychologists of our century, of our time tell us, is we project on to this image of God generally how we feel about ourselves. Our self-esteem... Whether it's high or low, is generally what we project onto when we think of what we call God. And that can be deeply influenced by significant adults as we were growing up as children, or it can be uh, significant other people in our lives, how they've responded to us or treated us. We generally the psychologists tell us, project that onto God. And I think of, in my work as a hospice chaplain, I think I've told you guys this story at one point or another. When I first met the guy named Jack, it's in my brilliant book, which should be a New York Times bestseller. (laughs) Not quite yet, but getting there. But anyway, in the book, I I talk about meeting this guy, Jack, who was a, a fundamentalist Christian. And I, he was the tall, gangly guy that reminded me of Eeyore. He was just so depressed, you just wanted to hug him. But he didn't, you know, he wasn't off putting. It was sort of inviting. That's how depressed he was. But I was in his house not even five minutes, and he looked at me and he said, God could never forgive me. And I said, Can I get your autograph? (laughs) And he snapped his head up. He had a long, pointy nose. What do you mean? I said, well, it's very rare in my work as a hospice chaplain that I meet someone that claims to be more powerful than God. (laughs) And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, if I understand you right, what you've just told me is that your ability to sin is much greater than God's ability to forgive. You're powerful, man. And he just smiled and said, yeah, I guess I do what I'm saying. So we became friends. And, and I, in the visits that I had with Jack over the course of time, one of the stories, he, he never did tell me, by the way, what deep, dark, awful thing he did that God could never forgive. and It wasn't important that I know. But one of the times I visited with him, he told me about his father, who he loved. His father was a football player and was handsome and rakish and not only broke tackles on the football field but he broke women's hearts particularly the heart of Jack's sainted mother as Jack's father ran around with a lot of different ladies. And Jack in a sense idolized his father but also really hated his father for what he did to his mother. And Jack told me at one point On Jack's father's dying bed, Jack's father told Jack's uncle that Jack was the greatest disappointment of his life. And so here I am visiting a man who was well into his 80s, carrying the pain of a God that could never forgive him and a father that he never measured up for. Were they all that different? I don't know. So what we think about God really impacts how we treat the people in our lives, how we think about ourselves, how we do our job, how we raise our kids. It has deep, deep tentacles into almost every aspect of our lives. Now for years... Preachers, like myself, have used this word repent in a, in a less than helpful way. I was thinking this morning when I was going to talk about this aspect of my sermon, I was thinking of the late, great Joan Rivers who said, Can we talk here? <laughs> Preachers have stood behind pulpits like this and beaten people up with this word. Generally, when the word repent is used... It means change your behavior. Stop doing bad and start doing good. Don't smoke or chew or date the girls that do. And if, if you stop doing bad and start doing good, then God will like you. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not good news. If i got to get my stuff together before God will like me, I'm in trouble. And you're in worse trouble because I know many of you. That's not good news. And so, Jesus comes... Well, first Jonah. Let me, let me get to Jonah. Because Jonah's problem is really what I'm describing. Jonah didn't trust God. See, Jonah. Figured, if you read the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters. You can read it in about 20 minutes. If you go home this afternoon, It's it's a fun read. It's hilarious. <laughs> Jonah was afraid that God would be too nice. Now, some background. Nineveh, where Jonah ended up, was the capital of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were really really mean people. I mean, you think ISIS is bad. The Assyrians were really bad. When the Assyrians would conquer a city, they would chop up everybody's heads and put them in mounds, so anybody that would come to the city would see these mounds of heads, and that would be the marker the Assyrians have been here. So they were brutal, I mean, fierce, warring people. And Nineveh was their capital and they had tormented the Israelites for years. And so when God tells Jonah, I want you to go prophesy to these folks, the last thing he wanted to do was prophesy to them because he figured God would cave and God would be nice. And Jonah wanted a God that would smoke those suckers. And so Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid God would be compassionate. And that's what happens. And at the end of the book, Jonah's all torqued off. He's all upset. He said, I knew you would do this. I knew you wouldn't smoke those guys. And that's what upsets Jonah. He wanted a God concept Get my enemies. And unfortunately, too many of us who claim to know God are in the Jonah boat. And so Jesus arrives and the first message that Mark tells us that he preached. Repent! Change your thinking and believe, trust in the good news. Change your thinking. Because here's what Jesus... It really is one of the main teachings of Jesus. Is this being, this, this God, this, this, this mysterious, powerful, holy other that you name God, in fact, in Jesus' day, the spiritual leaders had set up a system where you couldn't even say God's name. When Sandy read this morning the word of Yahweh, Yahweh's what we think. The, the way they would do they would write just the consonants of God's name. They wouldn't put the vowels in so nobody could say the name because they were so afraid if they said the name improperly, they'd get smoked. And so this big, holy, terrifying God that everybody, like Jonah, wanted. this Think of the Wizard of Oz. All-powerful. And you've got to kill the wicked witch of the West before I will accept you. This is the concept that everybody was laboring under from the preachers like me that had taught him this for centuries. And so Jesus shows up and says, Change your thinking! This holy, magnificent other that you're all terrified of, that you won't even say his name. Let me tell you what to call this being. And the most common word Jesus uses for the name of this holy other is Abba. Now Abba was an Aramaic word. It was a mixture of sort of Hebrew and Babylonian after they came out of the Babylonian exile. And Abba is the sound an infant would make as it was learning to talk. So sometimes Abba is translated Father because they weren't all that politically correct when they were writing the Gospels. (laughs) (laughs) But Father is much too formal. Abba is really Dada. Not even Daddy. Dada. The first sound. Mama. Mama dada that is abba ama would be the female or the, the female of abba and that's the name jesus says this is who this other is ab ab abba am am ama dada mama that you're so terrified of. Change your thinking that God is out to smoke you like a fly on the windshield and bust you for all the stupid stuff you've done. Change your thinking. God is not out to get you. God loves you. Crazy as you are, imperfect as you are, flawed as you are, God loves you and is with you. That's the good news. Because as the psychologists tell us, when we really believe, not just give lips of, but when no one's looking, when we're in our room alone, when we really believe that I am accepted and loved by God, I become free to change. My behavior will change when I'm secure in the knowledge that I am accepted and loved by this being. And so Jesus' words are radical. He came to change our behavior but by first changing our thinking into knowing that we are loved. A couple of weeks ago we had a patient on our hospice service a beautiful He was actually a retired minister. And he was a lovely man. He was a good minister. He loved the folks. He never had a big church, but he really loved and cared for them. The week before he came on our hospice service, his wife of over 60 years died. And I think it was like the day after her funeral, he got news that he was coming on to hospice. He had tumors pressing on the nerves in his back. He was in unbelievable pain. Torment. The woman that he had loved, that he had been a partner all his life, had died. He's in a bed, wracked in unbelievable pain. And he's dying. He can't get out of bed. And I remember one of my hospice colleagues looked at me and just said, why won't God just take him? Why, why won't God just take this guy? And she was a chaplain. And I looked at her and I said, Is that what you believe? That God kills us? Because if you're going to say God takes this man, then you've got to say God takes the children in the NICU and on the cancer wards away from their moms and dads if we only die when God kills us. And she just, Wow, well, wow, well, that's not what I mean. I mean, God calls us. God calls us home. God calls and I looked at her and said then don't answer the phone (laughs) (laughs) you know that's what I do and and she got all Well, 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 what do you think and I said here's what I think see in my work as a hospice chaplain for 10 years one of my colleagues is death and death has taught me to not trust any God that won't be there when we need him or her. And so I said, here's what I think. I think when we die, God cries. I think God cries over all the missed opportunities we had to give and receive love because we were so afraid we weren't worthy of it. I think God cries for all the cruelty we unleash On ourselves and others, out of the fear that we won't have enough. And I think God cries because we just don't understand how deeply God aches to have communion with us. I have come to learn to not trust in any God that stands by unmoved when we need her or him most. And I think this is the message of Jesus. This is what Jesus is getting to when he says, Repent. Change your thinking. It's good news. God loves you. Now, God's not going to smoke your enemies. Not, God's not going to destroy all those Republicans. <laughs> Or the ISIS folks, whichever ones you dislike most. Because whether it's good news or bad news, God loves them too. God loves us. And when the power and the truth of that really resides in our souls, we will be different. And we will be able to be free human beings. And to really live... Not as prisoners, but as free people. My sisters and my brothers, that's why it's good news. So repent. (laughs) (laughs) And trust that God loves you. Now before Diane comes to lead us in a Prayer, a community prayer, I would like to pray. So if you just close your eyes and relax for a moment. Oh, Holy One, we have been imprisoned for too long, thinking that you're mean or that you're like those men that said they loved us and then never called or like former lovers who said we weren't good enough or pretty enough or handsome enough or like those parents or teachers that told us we weren't smart enough or we didn't have what it takes God we've imposed all that stuff on you and it has mutated are living. And so I ask in the holiness of this moment that you would liberate us from those evil illusions and in the deepest place of who each of us is, however you talk to us, to each of us, that you would let us know you really do love us. And as Sandy read to us from the prophet Isaiah, that you would never forget us. You have engraved us on the palm of your hands and you love us. Oh God, help us to trust in the good news. Amen.